0: Well, as has already been expressed, we're pleased to have you here with us this morning. I know it's that time of year when we have quite a few out on vacation, so we're missing some of our regulars, but I also see some visitors here today, and I, I see some that uh, we haven't seen in, in some weeks, and we're glad to have you back here with us. And I hope that the time that all of us spend here together today will be profitable and beneficial and uplifting for us. This week, we celebrate. Independence Day. It commemorates the formal adoption of the Declaration of Independence on July 4, 1776, declaring that the 13 British colonies in North America regarded themselves as a new nation. You might not know that the resolution formally declaring independence was actually passed by the Continental Congress on July 2nd two days earlier. John Adams wrote to his wife Abigail that the second day of July 1776 will be the most memorable epic in the history of America. I'm apt to believe that it will be celebrated by succeeding generations as the great anniversary festival with pomp and parade, with shows, games, sports, guns, bells, bonfires, and illuminations from one end of this continent to the other from this time forward forevermore. Now, he didn't mention watermelon eating there, but I'd say more or less he had the right idea, didn't he? He was just off by a couple of days. But in that same letter, Adams puts it, quote, it ought to be commemorated as the day of deliverance. The day of deliverance. That really gets to the heart of the matter. Nothing is more distasteful to human beings than bondage. Throughout history, of whatever type, bondage has been the focus of hatred and resentment. Or if we want to flip that around and put a more positive spin on it, the great desire of humanity is for freedom. It's for freedom. This nation was established because of its founder's desire for freedom. Freedom of conscience, freedom of religion, freedom of assembly, freedom of opportunity, freedom to travel where you want to go. On and on and on we could go with this. Wars have been fought to secure that freedom. Still more wars have been fought to preserve that freedom. Our goal as a nation is a people who are free, living with liberty under the law. And I should add that that's not something that's unique to the United States. A lot of peoples all across the world share that desire. And yet, in spite of that common human desire for freedom. Most people in the world are living in bondage. Now that bondage isn't like all the galley slaves rowing in the Roman triremes. It's not like the bondage of military captives. It's not like the slavery on the plantation in the antebellum period. It's not like the bondage of those who live in economic slavery. The ultimate slavery is one that we voluntarily bring on ourselves through our attitudes, through our actions. It's the bondage of sin. And there is no slavery so terrible as that of the soul. That's the ultimate bondage. Seven centuries before Christ coming to earth, the prophet Isaiah wrote about the Messiah. And in a very real sense, it can be said that Jesus came to bring freedom to all of humanity. Listen, Isaiah chapter 61, beginning in verse 1. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor, he sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prisons to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now, Jesus was certainly concerned about people's physical needs. We don't need to ever forget that. But when we're talking here about liberty to the captives, the opening of the prisons to those who are bound, we're not dealing there exclusively or even primarily with physical chains. We're talking here especially about the bondage of sin. The bondage in which Satan held all of humanity fast. And this passage is so important that Jesus, at the outset of His ministry, He went into the synagogue in Nazareth. Luke chapter 4 records that He read from this very passage, and He said, Today... This scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. This was programmatic for his ministry. Following this same theme of release from bondage, the Apostle Paul writes to the church in Rome, Romans chapter 6, our text that was read a few moments ago. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, your slaves are the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, Or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. Now, your translation might say something like servants of sin and servants of righteousness, but the Greek word here literally means slaves, just as the English standard translates it here. And Paul's point simply is that once they were slaves of sin, but through Christ they've been set free. He ends the chapter in verse 23, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. What we worship determines whether or not we'll be enslaved or we'll be free. I like the way that Martin Luther once put it, that upon which you set your heart and put your trust is properly your God. You see, whatever we prioritize, whatever we put in first place in our life, that's God to us. You might not think of it often this way. We probably think that those ancient pagan Greek and Roman gods that they've long since fallen out of fashion. But you know, in a real sense, they have their worshipers today, even in this 21st century. Venus, the goddess of love. We see her followers in today's obsession with sex in our culture. Bacchus, the god of wine. He has his adherence. We see that in the millions and millions of dollars spent every year on alcohol and the anguish and the suffering that it brings. Mars, the god of war, continues to bathe the world in blood generation after generation. William Jennings Bryan, the great orator, politician of a century or so ago, once wrote what he called the nine false gods that crowd out the true God. And I want you to listen to his list. Gold, fashion, fame, ease, intellect, travel, passion, gambling, and drink. You know, if you were to make a list of nine false gods today, A century later, I don't suppose that it would look much, if at all, different from that list that he made. Wherever you put your trust, whatever you elevate to that highest place, that's your God. And when things like those nine or others that we could name come to that central place, you've chosen to enslave yourself. You're in bondage, the bondage of sin. We need to remember the very first commandment. Exodus chapter 20, verse number 3, you shall have no other gods before me. And as we said, anything that we put in front of God becomes a God to us. Consider what Paul says, 1 Corinthians chapter 8, beginning in verse 5, for although there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords. Yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist." Similarly, in the letter to the Galatians, there's a a passage that speaks on this theme. Now, this was originally written in terms of the law of Moses, but It still applies. Galatians 4, beginning in verse 5, he's speaking here of Jesus being born in the fullness of time to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you were sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. But now that you've come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? How can you go back and enslave yourself again now that you've been set free. And we come to the climax of this thought, actually, in the next chapter, this clear point concerning freedom and bondage. Chapter 5, verse 1, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. You know, in Christianity there are a number of what we might call paradoxes. That is, there are some times where Jesus says one thing and it seems like that just can't possibly be right. It seems backwards, upside-down, topsy-turvy of what we expect. For example, you remember when Jesus tells his followers to take his yoke upon them and to follow him? Now, ordinarily, a yoke would be a burden, right? Not a blessing. And yet Jesus says, Matthew chapter 11, beginning in verse 28, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest to your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus says that when you accept His teachings, when you take up that responsibility and you live by them, well, then you're actually free. And while His demands might at first appear to be a yoke, that is, a burden, actually they're light. They're easy. They're liberating. They're a joy and a crown. That's strange. And yet we know that that's true. I think of another place where he has, says something similar, paradoxical in nature. Whoever would seek to save his life will lose it, but whoever will lose his life for my sake will find it. That's strange. That sounds untenable. But if Jesus said it, it must be true. What do these things mean? Is this just high-sounding words Are these those sorts of uh, guru-type sayings that you sort of are meant to ponder on but not really understand? No. Now, we can understand exactly what he means, and I think a a few real-life examples will shed some light on this. Consider the case of a man who, in his supposed freedom, decides that he's going to drink any and all type of intoxicating beverages that he can. He decides that no one can tell him what to do. He's free to do what he wants. No one's going to fence him in. And so he drinks. And he drinks freely. And he drinks often. And before long we find him on the streets, the south side of Chicago, the Mission in San Francisco, or the drag or 6th Street in Austin or wherever. You name it. But we find him staggering along there in broad daylight, begging for change from passers-by, hoping that he can scrape enough together just to get one more drink. Is that man free? Hardly. He can no longer hold a job. He no longer has a family. Those ties have been severed long ago. He's a victim of his so-called freedom. On the other hand, the Christian who's taken seriously the admonitions to control his appetite, to curb his desires and his habits, that person can be truly free, not burdened with that sin. Or think about the similar case about someone who is addicted to drugs. And in his freedom, he decided that it's his business and nobody else's if he wants to use meth or coke or heroin. But you know, when you become addicted to that drug, suddenly all of that freedom seems to have slipped away. Now he's willing to lie, to cheat, to steal... Maybe even to to murder to get that next fix. Bound by the chains of a habit that's killing him. Powerless to do anything about it. Now, I'm, I'm certain that there are some in this audience today who've struggled with one or both of these problems. But maybe you're fortunate and you haven't and you're sitting there at this point starting to tune me out, this message doesn't really apply to me. Or maybe you're patting yourself on the back thinking, well, I haven't engaged in anything like that, looking down on others. What about the person who's a victim of the love of money, covetousness, materialism? This is, this is where, as the man says, I've stopped preaching and gone to meddling, Right? These are traits that our society celebrates. Greed, for lack of a better word, is good, as Gordon Gekko put it. We want to keep up with the Joneses. This is the American dream to try to get all that we have. So what about the man who works from early in the morning to late at night, constantly watching the stock ticker? He needs those reports just like he needs air to breathe and he needs food. And He no longer has very much in common with his wife. In fact, he doesn't even really like to go home because it's just a a nuisance and he doesn't want to be there. He doesn't really know his children. He's not involved in their lives at all because he's caught up in this rat race. He's caught up with making money. He's caught up with having things and getting that bigger house, getting that newer car. Is that man free? Not at all. He's bound by chains of his own making. Now, the Christian knows that all good gifts come from God, and he knows that the things in this world are are his to enjoy, and he does that freely, but he does that with gratitude, thankfulness in his heart, not letting them become the dominant force in his life. The Christian's truly free. The victim of lust, there's another example. Someone who has thought so long about nothing but sex, talked about sex, indulged in it, so that their lives have very little else in them. And in fact, any relationship that doesn't involve that, it's dead to them. They just can't understand it. Now, our society would celebrate that as being sexually liberated. That's the highest and greatest sort of freedom that there is. Is that person free? Not at all. The Christian recognizing that right and proper God-directed use of this wonderful gift that He's given us. Christian's truly free. We could go on multiplying examples here. We obviously can't come up with an exhaustive list, but just consider one more example. What about the victim of a bad attitude, hatred, jealousy, Resentment, bitterness, those inner negative feelings towards other people that crowd out all good emotions, the person who nurses grudges, nurses wrongs, mulls over how they're going to get even with other people, are they happy? Are they free? No. And yet our society celebrates that sort of mentality of getting even with others, It's the Christian who takes Jesus' words seriously of loving your enemies, of forgiving others, fully, freely, forgetting from the heart. That's the one that's truly free. We can sum up this whole range of thought with a passage found in Paul's letter to the Colossian church. Chapter 3, I'm going to begin reading in verse 5. It's a lengthy reading, but I want you to pay close attention. Put to death, therefore... What is earthly in you? Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. Listen to this list. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth, do not lie to one another, seeing that you've put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there's not Greek and Jew, barbarian, or circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave-free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, Kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful." The greatest bondage that there is is the bondage of the soul. There are no chains so heavy as those that weigh down the human spirit. I Think of Dickens, A Christmas Carol, and The ghost of Jacob Marley and those heavy chains he's dragging behind him that he forged in life. It's only through breaking out of these chains of sin that we can have the greatest freedom that there is the forgiveness of sins. And we find that in Christ. Recognizing our state that we were hopelessly lost in sin and recognizing that we were powerless to break those chains ourselves. God sent Christ into the world that through His grace we might be freed. Galatians 5, verse 1 again, For freedom did Christ set us free. Stand fast, therefore, and be not entangled again in a yoke of bondage. Friend, if you're living this morning enslaved to sin, I want to urge you to let Christ set you free. Put your trust in Him. Turn to God in repentance. Be buried with Him in baptism. That's what Paul talks about at the beginning of Romans 6, where we read about being a servant or slave of sin versus of righteousness. In baptism, our sins are washed away and we rise up to begin on living His kind of life. And I want to urge you to do that this morning if you haven't. Maybe you're here this morning and you already are a Christian. What I want to emphasize is that Christians aren't perfect people. I know that we can start out on that road and yet we might find ourselves entangled in some of these very same things we've mentioned this morning again or others that we haven't named. You see, Christ came not only to set us free, but to give us a better way to live. And as Paul puts it, having been set free, why in the world would you go back and choose that bondage once again? Christ's law is an arbitrary. It's for your benefit so you can be free. And whatever your need may be, if you need to make changes this morning to be in a right relationship with God, I want to urge you to take the opportunity to do it now while we stand and while we sing.